Welcome to the Business Trendsetter Podcast, where we talk about trends and how to grow your business. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. We are Spark Partners. We bring you all kinds of insights every week to understand how you can grow your business by capitalizing on trends. And of course, today is no different. In front of me here, I've got a list of the world's richest people in 2023. I'm going to list them off, and then we're going to talk to the uh, to the audience here, Adam, about uh, what kind of holds them all together and why are they so successful? Obviously, this is not overnight success, but it's been something that has been growing. And you don't build a uh, you know two hundred billion dollar uh, war chest without having done some very special things. So uh, the first one is, of course, uh, Bernard Arnault and family. Uh, the second, of course, is Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Larry Ellison, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Michael Bloomberg, and last is Carlos Slim and his family. And so what's interesting about this list is there's always conversation um, year over year about this list. And it moves around at one time. Carlos Slim was number one. Of course, Elon Musk was number one for a while, and it's a it's an ever moving number because sometimes their net worth is tied to stock value. So the magic question that I think everybody's interested in, in learning about Adam is why are they all successful, and why are they the uh, the ten richest people in the world? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, we should also say that we got the list from Bloomberg. There's a lot of people that publish lists, and so ours came from Bloomberg. Um, the one thing that I think people should note from these wealthiest people in the world uh, is also that it doesn't account for people in Russia. Uh, and we know some of those people have been quite, quite wealthy, uh, but their uh, ability to understand exactly how wealthy they are is difficult. So they're not. So they were excluded from the data set. So let's go back to what we do have and what's in the data set. And the one thing that ties these all together is these are people that either created a trend or they were very early in a trend that became something very, very big. So they got there early and they invested and they just kept investing more and more and more and, and until they, you know, they, they became a dominant name in that, in that trend, in that industry. And so, um, you know, when I talk to people and they you know, say, look, you want to make money. A lot of people work, they say, I just want to work and run a business. And I always tell them, well, that's fine. You know, you can have a small business, but you're always going to be susceptible to shifting things that happen in the market. You know, a new technology can come along and make what you do obsolete or it can kill your business model. You know, the newspapers like to give uh, to put out news, but their business model got killed by the Internet. Right. And it wasn't that yeah. they didn't know how to make good news. They, they did. The editorial boards were good. They even knew how to print really good newspapers. Uh, but the problem was people didn't buy a newspaper anymore. Right. So it's it's understanding that you're really trying to sit still in one place is a bad idea because the mm -hmm. world shifts and you'll get caught and you can very well find yourself, uh, you know, at the end of a rope with nowhere else to go and no other rope to hang on to. Uh, so that's a that's not a good way to run a business. The second way then is to say, well, I need to grow. And if you want to grow, then, you know, you want to try to be as successful as possible. Uh, the and if you don't keep trying to grow, what happens is somebody else will get you. So, for right. example, there were let's let's take a, a minute and think about um, Larry Ellison. Okay, Larry Ellison founded uh, Oracle, which was a, um, a, a a database company, right? right? A relational database company. And at the time, there were more. He had com competitors. Oracle wasn't the only game in town. But what happened was, as the database companies grew, he kept after it. He kept investing. 
and, and he ended up being the long-term biggest winner in that game. A lot of people get into these games early, and then what happens is they invest for a while, and they say, well, I don't want to keep investing. You know, I'd like to pull my money out or I'd like to go, you know, I'd like to, I want to be, I think it's risky to keep investing in what I'm doing. Well, what we see is they quickly die. I mean, take a look at Sun Microsystems. It got involved in making computers and it made uh, reduced instruction set computing or risk-based PCs was what they were. Uh, They were predominantly used in CAD CAM business and engineering workstation business. And then as servers for uh, telecom and a host of industries. And, you know, they, they grew really, really fast. But then when they reached the point where they needed to be moving on with the technology and they didn't invest in the next big thing, they were out of business soon. So they went from nothing to like a $700 million valuation in a matter of just a matter of just three or four years. Then they were well into the billions of dollars of valuations. And then when they uh, when the market sort of got saturated with these risk based um, PCs, then uh, they they fell off a cliff and they ended up yeah. selling out to Oracle for $5 million, never paid a dividend. So the people who had bought the stock, if you bought it, held it, never sold it, you basically didn't make any money on it because you have to keep, you have to keep growing or you're going to get yourself caught now. And that's where we can see some of the changes that happen here. So for example, Carlos Slim created the mobile phone business in Mexico. So in the United States, the mobile phone business got divvied up amongst the Arbox, and you had Sprint, and you had Verizon. Verizon used to be an Arbox. So anyway, there was a lot of players that got in the game. There was a lot of regulation. Um, some of the guys who started off buying uh, cell tower franchises, like they when the when the FCC uh, put up the auction, there were people who bought, say, say Austin, Texas, or Dodge City, Kansas, or Pueblo, New Mexico, or uh, Pueblo, Colorado, or those places. And they, they had small-time operations. They, it's the way cable came on. Then it did cable. Then it came in and said, we're going to do these telecom towers. Well, what they did was when they realized it was a big company game, they sold out. And they got all they captured the wealth, and they, they got out of it. Carlos Slim, for three years, was the wealthiest man in the world because he dominated, or he created and dominated, and he probably had a lot of government support, and there was probably all kinds of under-the-cover, under-the-table payments being made. But anyway, he was mobile phone business in Mexico for a number of years. But then the mobile phone business, it's not as profitable as it once was yeah. by a long shot. And uh, the growth has slowed down. And what happened? Well, you know, he went from being number one to like being number eight. Um, so it's another sign we want to take away from this. So the key, the first thing people need to recognize is the road to a billion is basically by growing your revenues and never quit growing your revenues and never stop investing mm-hmm. in these ways to grow. That's the, the biggest takeaway you have to yet yeah, you need. But then if you say, well, okay, what a, well, you, you, I really have to grow revenues. And again, yes, you really have to grow the revenues. And you might as well shoot for doing it as easily as possible. And doing it as easily as possible means hooking on to a trend, finding something that people buy. And, they, and the more of it you provide, the more of it they buy. They just don't stop. And so we see that, in, in for example, uh, the case of, uh, of uh, Amazon with Jeff Bezos. You know, he starts off selling books by over the Internet and, you know, he keeps adding to that uh, list of things that he can sell. And he, he becomes, you know, the biggest player by far in electronic commerce. He becomes the biggest player in alternative retail. So if you're not going to brick and mortar, then Amazon becomes the alternative. And then, you know, what he does is he says, you know, if I want to be really good at this, we need to realize this is all based on technology. And uh, he was using other people's technology and he started saying, wait a minute. I should go ahead and create my own uh, web services. And, of course, right. he creates a Amazon Web Services, AWS. So he invests now in something that you could say wasn't even part of his business. I mean, he was supposed to be a retailer. 
an online retailer, but he ended up investing heavily in technology and AWS has proven to be very successful. They're still the largest uh, software as a service company out there, followed number two now by uh, uh, by Microsoft. Right, so, which is a, a story in itself, how Microsoft yeah. reinvented themselves right. in order to, to continue on trend, moving away from the, the software um, directly away from Microsoft Word and PowerPoint and whatnot, and putting most of the resources into their Azure product line. Yeah. I mean, the only reason Bill Gates is still on this list is he needs to thank um, Nardella, the current CEO of Microsoft, because Gates got there, how? He was early in the PC business, right? He was somewhat lucky, but he was also smart and hardworking. And when, and when PCs were born, the operating system was there, but it didn't stop just putting the operating system out. He was smart enough to see his people build applications you know, that he needed to have a word processing application, that he needed to have some sort of a worksheet application. And he also saw he needed some kind of a presentation application. And so there were dozens of people making those applications. But while he had some money, being making money in the high growth uh, PC business, he took some of that money and started buying, uh, making acquisitions of applications that were in those those marketplaces. Uh, and so that, in, and of, in, in turn, led to Microsoft Office, which gave them a huge advantage because then they had now the operating system and the ability to provide the three most popular applications. And don't forget, we had other applications, you know, like when the internet first started, it was, um, uh, 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 oh, come on, how can I not get this straight? So Microsoft was the first out there giving away um, uh, Hotmail accounts and allowing, uh, you know, getting people Internet Explorer. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah, internet Explorer, oh, and then there was Net yeah. Netscape early on. and Yeah, Netscape had been first to the game and with the browser. But then when uh, Microsoft came along and said, well, we're going to give you, in addition to Microsoft Office, the three basic applications, you're going to get Internet Explorer. What they were doing was they were continuing to, to um, hold themselves, invest them in ways that made them the top of the heap in terms of the, continuing to grow the use of the PC. So that, you know, these stories, what you see in common is, yes, they're, they're based on a big trend. In these cases, technology had a lot to do with, uh, with Bezos and Ellison and Bill Gates. Uh, and so they, they built on that trend, right? And then, but they kept investing and they invested in, in expanding their use. We also see that with Bloomberg. You know, so you had uh, in the 1960s, people are trying to trade stocks. They're trading on limited information, right? And so he saw that the, the buying and selling of stocks wouldn't become an end of day event. You know, it'd be something that retail people could do during the day and that we would have access. The retail um, marketplace would have more access. And that, then he saw that the traders would now be far more able to try to trade on, um, on patches of information where they would get the information early. So some or before the retail investors could get a hold of it, for example. And he created the Bloomberg Terminal. And what do you do? What was the big trend? Data. The trend was data. How do I get data? And how do I put it in somebody's hands? And he said, okay, I can give people who will give, who buy my terminal will get the data much quicker than the not person who doesn't have one of my terminals. So you would find out quicker that a patent got approved or that a patent got disproven. You'd find out quicker that, that a CEO uh, was appointed or was fired or something like that. And that would give you a window of time where you had the information before somebody else did. We call those people traders now. And so they created trading desks where they would sit and they would look at these Bloomberg terminals where he was pulling the data together. And he kept pulling and feeding more and more and more and more data into those Bloomberg terminals, which 
you know, put it on, on, on trader's desk and it costs exceeding $100,000 a piece by quite a bit. They're very, very expensive to have. But then again, these guys were trading millions of dollars of stock, right? So the big trend was data. And then what he did is how do I aggregate this data and put it in front of somebody that, that could get value out of it? And that was the trader, the professional trader in New York. And once he created that terminal and got to kept putting the data into it and realized that, uh, you know, people realized that really he had the marketplace. And so that was, you know, how yeah. he made a fortune. And I think it's interesting to know, you know, we have uh, viewers and listeners across the entire spectrum from entrepreneurs uh, working a, a side hustle to startup people to medium uh, size company executives, large company executives, startup people, I mean, across the board. And what's interesting is, you know, we talk about things like this. Of why is understanding how Amazon became successful? Why is that important? Why it is, is it important to understand why Netflix became uh, prevalent and became the dominant media company in the world? Well, I think foundationally, uh, the our listeners need to understand that even if you don't intend to be a billion dollar company, you should operate your company as if you were going to be a billion dollar company, right? Yeah. We've talked about this many times on how you've got to really build a process internally. So you're always looking forward, you're understanding your customers, understanding what's happening with the competition, aligning your business with trends, and ultimately uh, just opening your eyes to what's happening out there in the market. Netflix is a good example. You know, this, this top 10 list here is a great example of, of uh, leaders have made really good decisions in staying on top of and in front of these trends. In a way, they also were good at overcoming biases that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us have. So are um, they are no family that's LVMH, which is, you know, uh, the famous brands, you know, like uh, Prada and, uh, and Louis Vuitton bags and that sort of thing. So I remember distinctly 40 years ago, I had a, a friend who's a Frenchman born and raised and uh, we were doing work together and we were in Paris and we were talking and, and we would see these, and Paris had these real, the fashion, it goes to the fashion hotbed. Milan and Paris were the two hotbeds. Way down after that is New York. Um, certainly we didn't think of any place in China as being a fashion hotbed or Russia, nothing like that. But we would, we would look at these Hermes scarves, for example, or Hermes neckties. And we would know that, notice that some men would pay $100 for one of these Hermes neckties. Um, and, and, and I was buying my neckties in a department store for, for 10 or 12 bucks. And, uh, was there a, a big difference? Well, when you looked at them closely, there wasn't a huge difference. You know, the quality of the tie was maybe a little better, the material was a little bit better, but it wasn't something extraordinary where you would sit there and say it was worth 10 times as much money. And he and I had several conversations about how the, these people were buying these bags, buying these, uh, really, uh, expensive luxury goods. But the cost to make the luxury goods wasn't that high. And we thought it would, would just crater. We didn't think it was a sustainable business opportunity. And so he, neither he nor I invested anything into it. Well, this fellow, uh, Arnaud, he realized that people would you know, save up and save up to own one Hermes tie or to own one Louis Vuitton bag rather than six bags that had a lesser known name on them. So mm -hmm. the style wasn't alone the thing that people bought on. They wanted the brand. They wanted to be associated with brands and, and, and feel the sense of luxury that comes with being associated with a, band, a, band, a brand. So what we had was people that might have a one-bedroom apartment in, in Milan, but uh, you know they were wearing the most expensive shoes imaginable because when they were out in the streets and somebody saw them, they were associated with that brand. Um, so 
the bias that my friend and I had kept us from seeing that opportunity, mm -hmm. that this branding could be worth so much money. Arnaud saw it and he just stuck with it. And he kept not only with his own brands, but buying up more brands. You know, he didn't create Prada, for example, he bought it. He didn't create Hermes, he bought it. Um, so, you know, would you stick with it? Would you go after it? When I did, when a lot of people were poo-pooing it. I mean, quite seriously, poo-pooing it. Uh, and then it was about the turn of the century when Arnaud's uh, daughter decided to get married. And it was going to be in France. And um, I think my friend actually might have gone to the wedding. And he was telling me the story later that uh, there were all these people in France that said, oh, this is going to be the wedding of forever. It's going to be so big. And, and I'm going to go try to get the contract to cater it, to provide the dress, to do all the different things that would go with a wedding that would have five or 6,000 people attending. And uh, they did. They called up, they asked for appointments. They went in and I know sat with them. And he said, so how much will you pay me to be the caterer to my wedding? And they stopped. They said, yeah. what? I mean, I'm here to get the contract so that you pay me to cater your wedding. He said, oh, no, no, no. This is the wedding of the century. Yeah. Everybody will want to know who my Brilliant caterer story. is. So you have to pay me to be my caterer. And That's he made millions story. of dollars off of the wedding by doing that, right? So overcoming the way you think, overcoming the, the historical patterns that you have so that you can think differently. And, and certainly, Arno, he understands this branding and how to create value out of branding. And, uh, and he overcame a lot of biases. And he, 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 he turned away the poo-poos and the, and the scoffers. Yeah, he recognized made, that the value that people were buying was not necessarily the material, but they were right. buying status. Yeah, you, know, you walk you walk into a, a a building and you're wearing a you know a high end suit, uh, a designer suit. It, it it just makes a statement, um, and you're not you're not buying for the thread. I mean, you're buying the statement. You're buying the status. You know what I like about uh, Elon the Elon Musk story is that um, he he got in early in the internet and he and everybody knew the payments were going to be an important part of the internet, right? And so uh, he he started PayPal. Uh, and uh, he was very successful with getting it launched and, and building it. And eventually it was, uh, you know, he sold it, made a lot of money. And then what he did was he, he saw that electric cars were coming. And at the time, I was one of the people that was also looking at electric vehicles and, and doing some writing about it. And I said, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And Toyota had come out with the, the Prius, which was a hybrid vehicle, you know. And um, but it was quite clear that th there was really something to this idea of the electric car and the performance of the electric car and, 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 the, and the cost savings that you would get from it, et cetera. And so he started investing in it. And most people forget, but he started off with a two passenger car, sports car, two passenger sports car, kind of like a Mazda Miata. Well, yeah, it was, it was all he took a, a, a Lotus Elise, a Lotus, it's a two car uh, chassis and he put batteries in it and uh, a, a motor. I got and, a, a know, sneak peek at that when I was living in, in Michigan in Ann Arbor. Yeah. I and I bet everybody thought it was a joke, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah. The auto industry said this will never catch on. So he makes some. But the thing was, every single one he made, he sold because it does have a lot of torque. You know, electric motors do spin up faster than gas powered motors. He didn't. The transmission, effect, the, the loss of horsepower you get through a transmission, you don't have that problem. All these benefits that you get from it. And, and he stuck with it. So when everybody was laughing at the fact that he only sold a two passenger car, he sold them all. And then he just kept growing and, and trying to figure out new cars. Well, then he said, well, I need to make a lot of money. So he came out with the S class. Well, the S class was a hundred thousand dollars and uh, the industry would say, Oh, how many people can afford a hundred thousand dollar car? This is still a niche. It's a niche market. So what did he do? He kept investing. And then we got the model three and that sort of blew the doors off everything and gave Tesla the marketplace for electric cars. And now the, the game to be chased. 
but he was early to the game of electric cars. He figured out a way to get into the game, and then he stayed in the game, and he kept investing in the game until he became the leader in the game. So just like Arnaud leads in fact in luxury goods and luxury fashions, what Bezos, I'm sorry, what um, Musk did with uh, electric cars, he was early to the game. He stayed invested in the game, and he kept he kept following the trend. And, and in both of those cases, as the same with Bezos, was you notice that the sales just kept going up. You know, he wasn't, Bezos was losing money for the first 10 years. I think they lost them every single year. I think they lost money in, and it was lots of money. Years, yeah. And he would, and he would say, look, we're not going to make any money because we're going to be the world's biggest electronic commerce company. Yeah. So we need to keep investing in order to make that happen. And, and when you watch the, some of the documentaries about Jeff Bezos, you'll see that his early offices were nothing fancy. There wasn't a lot of money spent on offices. He, he operated like a retailer. He was on thin margins. And so he, you know, had low cost uh, everything, <laughs> low cost warehouses, well, everything else. What's interesting is on this top ten list. If you were to go back, for sure, ten years ago, maybe even five or six, uh, there's uh, some very notable names that are not on the list, and that, of course, are the the Waltons. Yes, they dominated the list for uh, thirty years, and it's clear to see and understand why. Now that we're talking about the uh, the trends here is that even though Walmart's a giant multinational global company, they're not being able, they're not competing with what's happening <coughs> with Amazon and the proliferation of online purchases. So yeah. they're no longer on the list. Pretty simple. Yeah, where Sam Walton, he was like, how do I keep selling more stuff? And he would you know, open another store. And he, you know, he's, in, he's opening stores in Oklahoma and Arkansas and Mississippi and that part of the world. And uh, in, in these competitions, Ben Franklin and an outfit called TGNY and SS Kresge and Woolworths was still in business back in those days. And but he would go in and if, and could, if he opened a store in town, could he sell his goods? Could it make money? And yes, it did. So he kept investing and he kept investing and he kept investing in that. So Sam Walton wasn't a guy driving around a Rolls Royce. He was driving around in a pickup truck, you know, famously. And he would drive him. He would have had a single engine airplane and he would go out and get in his plane and he would fly around the countryside, you know, in that geography. And he would fly over his stores to see how many cars were in the parking lot. And he'd fly over competitor stores to see where, where, how many cars were in the parking lot. <coughs> and then he made the investments he had to make in order to keep selling more stuff. So the, the goal you see with these leaders initially <coughs> isn't to put money in their own pocket, but they, they play in the longer game by saying, I'm going to invest in the trend. And as I invest in the trend, then the business is the revenues grow. I want to invest in things people buy. I'm going to pay attention to the revenue side and <coughs> keep investing there. And again, we see with Bezos, they launched the Fire Phone. Remember the Fire Phone? I do. Yeah, it flopped like a horrible flop. <coughs> the thing about a Fire Phone was that when you opened it up, it'd say, Hi, Adam. And it knew it quickly connected with Amazon. And, you know, it was a great, great tool for doing online shopping. So his idea was, I'm going to come up with a phone. And it will have the capability of almost all phones, uh, but it'll be very, very cheap. And if you're an online buyer, <coughs> the Amazon application on the Fire Phone will be very good. Well, it didn't work. It turned out that people had a lot more value for other applications, and they wanted the stuff that were on the iPhone and so, to some extent on the uh, Google phones, to uh, the Android phones, to be able to make their life wonderful. Yeah. And it wasn't worth it to them to have this fire phone. So even it got to, so he just, you know, he, he liquidated them, got to the point he was giving them away. You could buy them for $5 at one point. 
and but so why? Because they didn't sell. So you know the people, these guys invest in what people buy, and when they realize people aren't buying, they quit. They don't they don't turn this into a, I've got to make it work situation. They say, "Oops, forgot." Yeah, made what happened with the? Uh, we talked about this before. The Microsoft Kin phone, yeah, yeah, which they they put a billion dollars into the development, and it lasted for a month and a half on the shelves, and they pulled it as well. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's a lot to be learned by looking at this list and by really studying the history of these these ten entrepreneurs that really made because uh, everybody on this list is. I'm looking at the list again, is I believe self-made. Um, yeah, nobody on here is uh, inherited the money or worked right. for a company. They all, they're all self-made. So it's interesting right. to know. Yep. The one person that's the most idiosyncratic off the list is Warren Buffett. But Warren Buffett, let's remember his age and remember how long he's been on this kind of a list. Effectively, Warren Buffett got into business 55, 60 years ago. He went in, you know, using the process of going to buy undervalued assets, and he became very good at insurance, and he, he buys companies, and then he never sells them, right? He buys stock in companies like, you know, Coca-Cola, and he never sells that stock. <clears throat> now, he eventually, the Warren Buffett will fall off this list. Why? Well, because he'll die, and when he dies, his estate will be divvied up between charities, philanthropic organizations, and maybe a bit to his children. But that 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 fortune will go away. And what we'll see is that um, the company itself will not probably survive nearly as powerfully after he's gone. Now, they've made some significant shifts in recent years. Right. They've now the one of the largest shareholders of Apple stock. And he and the issue, you know, he's famously said that he didn't buy. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He bought 100 shares of Microsoft early on, but he never bought more because he said he didn't understand the business. Well, they got over that. You know, now that we're in a new technology world then Berkshire Hathaway is definitely investing in, in growth enterprises now, um, which is something that they didn't think about traditionally under uh, uh, the Oracle of Omaha, as he was called for yep. so long. Um, so again, that would be the outlier. The rest of these, again, it's trends and investing in trends. So if somebody is in business, I would say, first of all, you need, as you said, Manny, to be thinking about how am I going to get to a billion dollars, as crazy as it sounds. Because if you're not thinking about how you're going to grow to be really big, the reality is you're probably underinvesting in very important parts of your business and overinvesting in things that aren't that worthwhile. And you're kind of just slipping along and you're not really paying attention. So think about it. What would what, what I do to get to a billion dollars and then <clears throat> invest in that? Right. And what's easiest to do is to get into a growth industry. Right. If you're in a business that's not a growth industry, then it's high time you start looking to say, how do I get into a growth industry? Yeah. And then I think uh, even the step before that is that, you know, we talk to a lot of folks and you got to learn how to invest in yourself. If you're uh, an entrepreneur or executive, you know, you got to really look at what is it going to take for me to, to make that next step. And, and certainly we've con condensed and consolidated a lot of information in our course, Think Innovation. And, uh, and really that's, the, at least in my opinion, that's a good foundational step to take in order to really start to understand the way trends work, and under, to understand how to run your business in a way that's aligned with those trends. We talk about bias, which is massively important. We talk about uh, some tr more transactional things about how to deal with uh, people in your organization. Um, we talk about uh, blank space teams and how really it's important to, to create some space in uh, your organization to 
almost like a sandbox, but then have the ability to shift all resources in that new direction. Netflix has done this a number of times. And if we look at this list here, uh, some of the people on this list have made pretty significant shifts away from their core business. You can even think about Elon Musk making uh, the transition from PayPal and then ultimately, you know, making the transition to Tesla and to Solar City and then to um, the Boring Company and to SpaceX. I mean, he's made some pretty significant jumps one to the other. So it's very interesting to see that. Well, you know, I know, Manny, that you're a member of Vistage uh, Worldwide. And as you know, I regularly uh, am a speaker for Vistage Worldwide. <clears throat> and these are typically CEOs of small to mid-sized companies that, that are in Vistage Worldwide. And in the discussion, often well, they're busy figuring out how to run their business. And when I ask them, I say, well, what are you doing to invest in, in the next high growth enterprise? And, they, you know, they're not. They're not really putting a lot of energy into it. And so I always try to break that down and say, well, you need to be thinking about it. So as you mentioned, you know, what kind of team do you have in place that's uh, out there trying to figure out the thing that could really help your business grow? And, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, Richard Branson called them white space teams. We've called them white space teams or blank space teams. We'll have this opportunity to go out and find something new. And, and I'll challenge my audience and I challenge all of our listeners. I say, let's just imagine that um, actually I won the, the California lottery or I won the national lottery and, and I, and I win a hundred million dollars. Okay. And so that's uh, gives me a lot of uh, extra cash. And I say, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to say, Hey, I have a million dollars that I'm ready to hand you. Now here's the deal. You have to put it into a white space team or a blank space team. I want to see that you can stand up the team. You have the idea, the business idea, like how it's going to work, some concept of what your goals are initially. Does it get eyeballs? What are you? What are you? How are you going to measure it? Uh, some concept of a business model. It doesn't have to be all worked out. Do you have those things down? Do you have the people that you can identify to be on the team? And do you have a reporting relationship to have on the team? And you have to stand that up in, in 48 hours. You have two days to stand that up. If you do that, I'm going to give you a million bucks and you're ready to rock and roll. Well, nobody has one. Right. I've never, ever, yeah, I've never had anybody say, I'm, I'm ready to go. I would take that back. The last, very last session that I did, somebody did say that they thought they could be ready to go that quickly because uh, they were working on a new business idea. Um, but other, I mean, that, that's one, one out of what I've been doing this for a decade. <clears throat> and, uh, and I always tell people, look, you, you always think you got to get the money first. You want to wait for somebody to give you a million dollars. Then you want to go figure out what the good, big idea is. Well, that's silly. Figure out the big idea. Figure out what it is you want to do with your business. Because believe it or not, if it's a really good idea, it's you can get it funded. Now, mm -hmm. you may not know how, but you can figure that out. There's a lot of different sources of funding. But nobody's going to fund your business when you're not growing your business. So, so quit trying to figure out how to make everything work in the business you have now, the business model, the way it operates, the people. That, that's okay that that's a good business, and it's okay that it could be growing. But at the same time, you should be saying, what is this great idea? that could jettison me off into the world to where I could be the next, you know, Richard Branson with Virgin, or I could be one of these guys like Carlos Slim or somebody like that. You know, what, what will artificial intelligence do to your business? You know, allow, what kind of asynchronous working models do we have? If you look at, for example, the guys that founded Uber, what did they do? They said, okay, there's going to be this big gig economy. And so what we're going to do is we're going to provide, you know, this gig service model. So we've got the software that allows you to go out and be an Uber driver at night. But you can Uber, you could use that software to do a lot of stuff. That's, that's a business built on the trend of the gig economy. 
And so you should be looking at these trends and saying, hey, what could I do? What could where's this going to go? Where's this going to be big? And where could I invest in it? It was it was uh, um, uh, Jeff Bezos that got in the car after being an investment banker for a few years after college, gets his car with his girlfriend, now wife. I don't think they were married yet at the time. And they drove from New York to Seattle. And he said, I'm going to figure out a new business. And on the drive, he figures out the idea of the retail shop and he figures yeah. out that they'll do books. And I think it took three or four days to make the drive. And so he leaves saying, I got to find an idea to shape a whole company around and it'll grow. And what he did, he did it in a car looking at the world. You know, he wasn't focused internally. He wasn't focused in the business that he has today, but actually looked at the world outside. And that is one of the things that all of these people did. Even Warren Buffett looked at the world outside, looking for opportunities, looking for what's going to be the next big thing. And then they put their money in that. And that's the way you figure out how to yep. grow. Very well said, Adam. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in, in uh, looking at the top 10 list here and just looking at, in general, what are companies doing to become and remain successful. With that, we'll log off for today, Adam. Any final words? Just, I want everybody out there to know what's their plan to a billion. Sounds great, Adam. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.